Hello everyone, and welcome to the Get Clean Podcast. This is episode 19, and I'm your host, Khalil Sherrod. In this episode, I will be interviewing Coach Ray Zingler of Zingler Strength and Conditioning here in Marietta, Georgia. Coach Ray is one of the great coaches, another conjugate guy, of course. So, I hope you you guys really like it, and let's get clean. Coach? You got me? Yo, yo. Awesome. How we doing? I'm doing good, man. I just good. raced home from work, so. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. I wish I had more uh, more time, but hey, we got to do what we got to do and operate around the quarter, so it's all good. Right, right, right. And, and you're still like pretty down as long as nothing pops up to do a part two if we go over the two hours, Oh, right? absolutely, man. Yeah, no, okay. I'd, I'd, I'd love to. I certainly don't want to rush anything. And, and, hey, if this was a year and a half ago before my little guy was here, I could stay here until midnight. But, you know, <laughs> I, got, I got the dad duties that I got to roll with in the evenings. So, no, All right, because uh, you, your wife is taking care of him during the day? Yeah, yeah. Typically, I'm at the gym running around, so she's taking care during the day. So I try in the evenings to, you know, give her her few minutes to – to herself right. and and right. that way i don't get lashed at too much the day's done so, you, know, yeah. you gotta uh, do something <laughs> for sure no doubt no how doubt. old how old is he now he's a year and a half so he'll be okay. two in march but uh okay. finally coming alive and picking up everything around the house lifting like his dad so yeah. i think we're gonna, speaking we got a good one so is he yes. speaking yet? oh yeah oh yeah yep yep is he pulling sled yet? I got him a mini prowler, so he uh, he uh, he's not pushing the prowler yet, but I, he's got a chain, and he'll drag the chain in the driveway. So <laughs> he's at least uh, he's he's making small strides for sure. It's funny, I, I joke about that, but then I want I don't know anybody that I've seen that does it because I don't know if there's like equipment that you can use for sure. So, but obviously, it's a smart thing to you know just keep it real basic. But hey. Build that base. No doubt. That's, that's, that's what he's doing. It's funny, man. You know, I never really realized it, but he does a lot of it on his own. You know, we'll be out in the yard mm. playing, and he'll find a brick over over down by the creek, or he'll find this and that, and he'll bring it to this little area. And then one day, he just started loading it up. I got this old <laughs> dog crate outside, and then he put another one up there, and another one. I saw that. I saw one. that, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny. There's been no, you know, oh, hey, you got to do this, this, this. It's almost like there's a natural desire to, to to lift something. So I said, I don't know if that's genetic or if I just got Well, they, lucky, they talk but... about that fathers working out is even more important than the mothers. And something about even if the father was obese at one point, it matters like within a year of the kid being born and the woman getting pregnant, the activity of a father can like dictate they're like baseline for heavily. sure for sure yeah, so. and it's funny even as, as young as a month old two months old you know i got a gym obviously here at the house and i put him in his little rocker or whatever right you know five feet from the gym and mm. every day he'd see his dad doing pull-ups and one-arm rows and this and that you know, i don't know if <laughs> it could be something. ingrained it could it, yeah it, it'll help later for sure for sure <laughs> no that's great all right man so let's start start off by just telling people where, who you are and what do you do Awesome. Yeah, my name is Ray Zingler. I own my own business, Zingler Strength and Conditioning. We operate here in Marietta, Georgia, where I've been. It's actually born in Spartanburg, South Carolina. My dad was a college football coach. And um, when I turned four or five years old, he got out of the coaching profession and moved to Atlanta. But he had always had a bug for for strength and conditioning and sports in general. So he kind of 
you know, facilitated my growth as a young kid in the strength and conditioning world. And it was one of those things where I kind of decided very early on, you know, it's probably as early as high school that I wanted to be involved in strength and conditioning. And I didn't know if I wanted to go the college route or if I wanted to go the private sector route. And it kind of just happened organically that I was able to build a little business for myself actually right out of high school. And I've been uh, mm. operating that since 2010 and uh, we work predominantly with athletes. We also have some gym pop and also an adult program that we work with. But uh, okay. yeah, it's right here in Marietta. So. And it, uh, is it is just like in like a warehouse kind of thing? Like where? So it's funny. When I first started, you know, I didn't have the first clue of business. I didn't know anything about business. It was one of those things. I was just a meathead that wanted to strength train and, and you know teach people how to do it. So I actually started, right. believe it or not. I was, uh, my dad built a home gym for him and I, when I was in middle school and high school and, you know, he kind of had some notoriety in the community. So he was taking a couple of kids, basically my buddies under his wing when we were in middle school and high school. And he was training a bunch of kids, football players in the gym in our basement, you know, and it was one of those things oh, that wow. we, we joked around that, Hey, you know, we got a couple kids here and there. And then it was eighth grade. My dad was our football coach. And, you know, he put out a little pamphlet that, you know, to any players that want to come to train in the off season, you know, we're going to do a free training, free strength and conditioning program at our house. And, you know, we put this little wow. blur out the first day we had the session, you know, there's 45 kids there and we're thinking, goodness gracious, you know, we thought it was going to be four <laughs> or five kids. And right. basically from there, you guys are free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then, you know, dad revamped his little mini business model and, you know, it, it turned out to where we had 12 or 15 kids that was training. And then, you know, beyond high school to make a long story short, you know, I had the opportunity to play college athletics and it was one of those things I, I enjoyed preparation more than I enjoyed playing sports and I love sports, but anyway, Same. you know, dad, dad had this gym in the basement and he had, you know, probably a dozen kids that he was training, but at the time his flooring business that he owns was really taken off and he just didn't have time to do both. So dad said, Hey, Ray, do you, do you want to train these kids that we have here? You know, that'll way get yourself, you know, your feet wet while you're in college and, you know, just learn the, learn the trade you've understood how i've trained you guys for you know eight nine years in sixth grade so it started right there in dad's basement you know and i here i am i inherited you know 10 or so clients and i'm training people going to school at kennesaw state university you know right down the road from oh, okay live. and um you know i'm having fun you know making a little bit of money i got 10 kids i got 12 kids now i got 20 kids and then whoa i got 30 kids you know here i am 20 years old with 30 clients you know not making a ton of money but i'm i'm doing pretty good for myself and i saw that man this is really really working out well and for the longest time i stayed in dad's basement running that gym it was kind of this underground you know it was, what you guys have in there we had oh, what we have we had a power rack that turned into four power racks and then we went leg press then we had a hack squat machine calf raise cable cross um just a bunch of pull-up bars and it was all old school kind of nautilus equipment again it wasn't a commercialized thing but it was something right. that you know we needed the bare basics to teach the fundamentals and um you know we just really ran with this and this was probably from you know, we built the gym probably around 2003. 
I kind of took over in 2010 and we're running it down there from 2010. I did it in there from 2010 to 2017, I'd say 16 or 17. And then from there, I actually bought another residential property that fortunately had a very large kind of warehouse slash barn on the property. It kind of had its own separate driveway, its own, you know. I see that. That's where you guys do your sprinting yeah, on the side. Yeah, right? yeah. So we're, we're over there. And, you know, in this business, I'd always seen so many people, you know, they buy these, you know, or they're renting these 8, 9, 10, 12,000 square foot facilities that are awesome spaces. And there's nothing to knock it. But there's a lot of overhead involved in that model. And it was one of those things where I – I wanted to try to create a, you know, I call it a low overhead, high profit model to where I'm not having to pay two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month in rent and overhead insurances. So I've kind of tried to carve my own little niche to say, hey, if I can own the place where we're, where we're training instead of having to pay rent, maybe I only right. need 100 clients instead of 250 clients to, to meet, right. you know, the demands of my finances and all that stuff. So is that more upfront? What's that? But you save obviously in the long run, like the way you did it, is that yeah, more upfront? Exactly. But obviously you save a lot in the long yes. run, right? Like if you know you're not going to move, that's for, probably the best way to sure, do it. For sure. For sure. And that was the beauty of, of being in dad's basement for so long and you know as much as it sounds funny and you know it's embarrassing that hey this guy's running a gym in the basement the whole deal yeah you got 30 clients it, it, you're doing yeah something. you know I'm, so. I'm saving <laughs> i'll take i'll take i'll take 30 right. if you know right. yeah. and, and it got to you know 50 or 60 man it was a point where you know i had this little 400 square foot room in the basement and then one day i looked up and I got kids doing step ups on the staircase in the basement. And there's another office room. We had to put a leg press in the bathroom, you know, the whole deal that, you know, everybody's laughing That's at me. Awesome. But, you know, here I am making a pretty healthy salary at a young age. And the best thing it did for me was I was able to put money away. I had no expenses. You know, dad was oh, you know, yeah. charged me 50 bucks a month for the light bill down there. <laughs> and wow. from 2010 to 2015, you know, I, I put every dime I made for the most part in my pocket. And then when it come time to, you know, move to my next facility, I had enough in savings to where I could buy, you know, a place up front. Obviously, you know, I put a 20% down on the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, starting out, had I not had the resource of the gym at dad's house, I would have never been able to save that money to be able to invest so early at a young age in, in the place that I'm at now. So now uh, you know, I kind of skipped a large portion of that, you know, grinded out phase. Don't get me wrong. I worked very hard and it was a lot of 80 and 90 hour weeks working my face off. But at the end of the day, mm. I I was able to kind of jumpstart financially because of the the gift. Now that I look at it of, of being able to run a run a business with very little overhead. Right. And you also were working with little equipment. So I'm sure you have a lot more For now. Sure. So if you can work with, you know, a hundred different band, band variations because you ain't got the right, machine to do it. Right. You get the machine, you're like, Whoa! oh, that's, that's exactly right. That was that. I, I've been through that. Yeah, so. that was dad's <laughs> yeah. biggest thing is we'd buy one piece a year. You know, we started out, he trained me with those old school concrete plates, you know, that you'd see in everybody's basement from the 70s and 80s. And then <laughs> we had a rack and then we got the leg press. And it was funny, you know, I kind of learned that minimalist approach that, Hey, if you've got a barbell, a squat rack, and a lat pull-down machine, 
you know, it's not, it's not gold's gym, but you got to find a way to make the most of what you got. And I think, you know, amen, amen. <laughs> that's him. You know, being resourceful, the guy had a broke, got a power rack and right, radio. He had a broken back and he, and he hooked a bench up and swung his legs. And now there's this thing right. called a reverse hyper. I don't know if you've heard of it, but you know, that was yeah. a, uh, he, he did all right with, with minimal. So you know, right. that's awesome. Um, so what's, what are all the sports that you train? Cause I'm, I'm usually not sure for sure from your videos. For sure. So there's a lot of different ones, you know, man, it started off as I played football in high school and I was kind of, you know, known as the, as the football guy around town, you know, eventually it had grown into more, but you know, it, it's funny. And obviously strength and conditioning has been around for multiple sports for many years, but you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, it was kind of like, you know, weightlifting was what the football players did. You know, the baseball guy. Yeah. Didn't do it. Uh, it still is. I'll oh, tell oh, you, it, it still is for being as a basketball player. Right. It's, right. No, yeah. it, it definitely <laughs> is still, but even more so then, you know, right, I couldn't right. even talk to a dad of a basketball player or a baseball player because yeah. they thought, Oh, they're going to get big and bulky. And you know, the, you know, the whole deal. Short. Yeah. Short. So I, I, I started out training <laughs> football guys and then you know, here I am, West Side barbell chains cranking, you know, kids are getting jacked, five, <laughs> six hundred pound deadlifts. And then, you know, I realized, all right, the fall is is here and now I don't have that many people to train because all these football guys are playing football. So I said, I gotta find a way to get resourceful and try to, you know, generate clients year round. And from mm. there, you know, I picked up a couple girls soccer players that were coming off of some injuries and you know, I kind of uh, slowed things nice. down, but it was such a blessing because, you know, there's not a population on earth that needs the weight room more than the female population. So it was kind of cool that this, you know, bearded, rugged, West Side barbell loving, you know, chains clanking type guy was able to help the 15 year old female soccer player the same. So now that kind of got the ball rolling that, okay, this isn't just a football guy. You know, it's good for baseball, it's good for basketball. So to make a long story mm-hmm. short, I have trained everybody from fencers to gymnasts, basketball, baseball, lacrosse, tennis, hockey, you know, pretty much, uh, pretty much everybody, everybody, you know, the only sport I really think that I haven't worked with outright would be rowing, which I don't even know if there's that many rowers, you know, around here, but, um, you know, pretty, pretty much all of them, man. Um, what sports are your favorite to train? You know, if you asked me this six years ago, I'd say football. You know, I was a football, football, football. You know, I love the strength element, yeah. the collision element. You know, I know the, the carryover is obviously there. But, um, you know, if you want the God's honest truth, I have really, for the last couple of years, enjoyed training the female population, man. So whether that's soccer or volleyball, lacrosse, you know, some of these <laughs> sports, it's Softball. Yeah, softball, and, and it's not that it's not that I dislike training the guys. I definitely love it, but it's awesome to see this underserved population and knowing right. that yeah. that it's one of the the biggest performance enhancers for females, and they don't get it. It's <laughs> not marketed towards them. So you know, with the with the guys, yeah. hey, I can still use that same terminology that I love training the football guys, but. They've got strength training at school. They got it as a class. They got it as extra lifts here, there, you know, all over the place. The girls, you know, yeah. there are still many people, even more so than the guys that are, are telling them to stay away. And then, goodness, you get these <laughs> girls in here and they're getting strong. Their confidence is through the roof. Their performance is going crazy. And it's, 
you know, we're not doing anything fancy. We, we, we push full hinge and carry, you know, and it's neat that, you know, you can see a girl that may be gifted naturally, but then what she can do once you put 300 pounds in her hands, holy cow, it's a different animal. So, you know, I yeah. can say that uh, I, I don't like to pinpoint anything just because I, I view my training holistically and look at the athlete or the individual more so than the sport per se. But but I would say right now, you know, the female population of that soccer, softball, volleyball, that uh, it's been a fun one for me here lately. So uh, what type of program do you have your clients? So on? that's uh, another great question, man. Um, I come from a background of a very Joe DeFranco, Jim Wendler, kind of Zach Evanesh type background. Um, mm. You know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the program Westside for Skinny Bastards. It's kind of a, a knockoff <laughs> of, of Westside, obviously, for, for – athletes and what i've done and you know everybody's different man what i'm speaking about now is our moderately experienced you know 16 to 18 year old obviously a 12 year old that can't tie his shoes isn't going to be barbell squatting for the most part i would say that i use a a west sidey type template but then i also incorporate Mm -hmm. a lot of jim Wendler's 531 in there and the reason i've done that and i've had a lot of success with it is you know you're able to max. I'm able to max, you know, the 26 year old 10 year veteran trainee is able to work up to a heavy single. This, the 16 year old is not producing enough power. Most 16 year olds are not producing enough power to to really get a massive benefit from a single in most movements. You know, I I like the trap bar deadlifts. I do a lot of singles for the trap bar because one of those, the beauty of it is either do it or you don't, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, you know, yeah, they can't mess they, it they, up. They can't. They can't. Up, you right. pull it, it doesn't go, you, you're not strong enough. Well, a squat, you know, again, I train athletes and not power lifters. So do I need an ass to the grass, you know, hip crease below knee joint parallel squat? I'd like that. But is that going to help Jimmy at football? Maybe, maybe not. So it's, just, it's more subjective. So, you know, anyway, I, I definitely like the, the higher rep ranges, if we're going to max for those kids, you know, the twos and the threes, because I've always said, mm. if, if Johnny can squat 315 twice and both reps are kind of eh, skeptical, you, you know, he can do it for one. You know what I mean? So if you can do it twice, right. you definitely have the ability to, to do it once. So the same with the bench press, you know, everything, everything that, <coughs> you know, especially training kids for the most part, Everything is risk versus reward. And if I can train sub maximally right. and 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 let a kid rep ninety percent for six and not That's gonna be yeah. like almost a hundred for like yeah, you, you know, know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I'm saying, I, yeah. so heavy triples and doubles is kind of yeah, what exactly. you'll do. Because we're we're you know, okay. and again, if these were four and five hundred pound benchers, you know, I'd I'd work more to the singles because the stronger you are, I believe, you know that you start flirting with, with risk of injury when you get into the doubles and triples. And that's something that, yeah, that's, you know, that's Louie yeah, talks yeah. about, I do yeah, and Louie talks yeah. about, you know, if a guy, if a guy <laughs> bench presses 600 pounds and he's trying to do that for a double, it, you know, by the time he gets to that second rep, you're going to start getting fatigued. That, that's when things are going to go away and you're going to, and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to rip a pack and you're going to get hurt. But for a right. kid who benches 270, I'd rather see a kid double or triple 270 than bounce 310 off his chest. And then now we're, we're getting into mm-hmm. a, a, a pec strain or a, or a shoulder injury. So, 
Yeah, I I I live in that doubles or triples area, but a lot of it, man, is 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 the fives, the sixes, the eights. Again, just to build a base of of repetition. So you know, we probably test our kids. You know, the kids that are ready to be tested, I should say, every four to six weeks. I like the six weeks just because I think if you can keep the kids head down and focused on the process and not just always looking forward to that max day. You know, now you're you're getting the kids to see the big picture versus just trying to live for the max day. They spend so much time worrying about their buddies' max that they miss the whole concept of training. And, um, you know, mm. trying to get the kids to buy into the long-term process is, is definitely our goal. Um, now, now you say you test every four to six weeks. Now, when you test every four to six weeks, that would be like, I'm testing a squat or a deadlift maybe every four to six weeks for that double or triple. But now will you test like a jump of a 40, a broad, something like that every week, because they can, they probably won't care from doing that. And you want to do that. For sure. For sure. For sure. So basically for the, for the strengths type stuff, you know, I will test, Let's just say we go through a five, three, one cycle, for example. So week one, you have the 65, 75, 85%. Week two, 70, 80, 90. Week three, 75, 85, 95. That's one cycle. Instead of deloading that fourth week, I'll just run another cycle. So we'll go six weeks of the fives, the threes, the five, three, one, fives, three, five, three, one. That seventh week will test their main list. But then obviously, like you said, depending on the season and what's going on and where we're at, you know, obviously the jumping is a lot safer. Again, their, their outputs aren't, you know, massively high through the roof to where these guys are jumping over 44 inches and you're going to, you know, tear an Achilles or take something, you know, that's a positive and turn it into a negative. But yes, those can definitely be tested mm. more frequently. I will say too, I've kind of gotten into the psychology of things a little bit that, you know, for example, a volleyball player, you know, my biggest metric with a volleyball player is obviously going to be her vertical jump. You know, that's that's a big procedure in what she's doing in sport. That being said, right. you know, a lot of these volleyball girls, they're, they're playing 12 months a year. And obviously when you're jumping at mm-hmm. practice three, four, five, six times a week, do we need to add more jumping volume to the training? Because I'll tell you this, their, their max effort vertical jump is not going to be as high as if they were in a training state or an off-season phase. So a girl on a Thursday that comes to me, I want to test her vertical jump, right? But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, she's had two and a half hours of volleyball practice. It's not rational for me to Mm. expect that she's going to jump a PR that Thursday when she's had 75 ground contacts with a jump and land, jump and land, jump and land. So, you know, I've definitely learned that, you know, obviously the perfect program on paper and and the way that you want to run things in my head doesn't always translate because a lot of the kids that I'm working with are playing some form of a year round sport. You know, really the only ones that aren't year round, you know, and you you know how it is, is football. Football. So, so again, a basketball kid or a baseball kid, do I I need to test? you know, their med ball throw distance, which is a very safe test. Do I need to test that on Thursday when they've had practices Monday, Tuesday, you know, so it's just, it's, it's finding the right time to do it. I will say that in the summers when things are kind of slowed down, that's when we do a lot more of the, the testing of the speed work and, and, and the jumping and this and that, because you got to think, you know, it, what, what good does it do for me right now? to test a football player's 40 yard dash in in the middle of the season. You know what I mean? It's not to say that a kid couldn't, 
Yeah, he's already yeah, he's beat yeah, up from Sunday yeah, exactly. still Wednesday. So it's it's more or less that hey, Ray Zingler trains athletes or Zingler strength and conditioning trains athletes and not, you know, test subjects. And you know, don't get me wrong, I've got a select few that I can definitely push the envelope with based on where they're at, but you know, knowing But yeah, those are your exactly. top top people exactly. and you know you're not we gonna got, get them hurt. We, we got five guys that can do that. And that's not to take away from any of the other kids, but it's just one of those things that you know, yeah. <laughs> 90% of the ki- kids at our gym are year-round sports guys. So just getting them in to train right. to give them a stimulus two to three times a week, that's hard enough. Creating some, you know, intricate testing structure that I would love to do, is that is that ideal? Yes. Is it practical? Not always. You know, so that's the that's the line we have to, to mesh with is, hey, what's ideal and what makes sense Oftentimes, those are two different things. So, if if you're not, let's say, like you said, like if their kid's jumping all week, you're not going to max them in the jump. Will you do kind of like what maybe Louie does with his powerlifters, where you do like a box jump, 75% of their box jump max height, and do it with weights so they're doing multiple for, sets? Or will you just be like, I'm just going to do explosive for, strength for weights sure. with a squat or a deadlift? So, what I'll do is I, is I – and again, this isn't anything that I've coined or I've tricked or anything like that. But what I've learned for doing, you know, training this sub-maximal way for so long is I know what things need to look like. So, for example, if we're doing a weighted vertical jump and, and Nick usually uses 20-pound dumbbells and I have him with a set of 20s and right. his jumps just look like crap, I know – I know the kid could jump with 50s. I, I know he could. But, but, but if the 20s don't look polished – I, I make that in session or we make that in session adjustment to drop to the 15s or the 10s based on the, the, the look right. test. So, you know, I don't necessarily have the, I, you know, exact and ideal percentages down just because every day is different. You know, we're dealing with 16 year olds right. whose diet revolves around Mountain Dew and no sleep. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> freaking Chick-fil-A. Yeah, Chick-fil-A exactly. down here in is Georgia. The kid, is the kid going <laughs> to jump a PR? Do I need to get analytical with 75%, no. 80%? Right. Just jump, man. Just jump. <laughs> right, right. jumps in, let's get rolling. So it's more more right. of the eye test than anything. And don't get me wrong, especially the dynamic effort work. Mm. I'm I'm very big on, you know, the eight doubles, the 10 singles, the 12 triple. You know, I understand all of that. And I've applied that myself with a lot of, you know, not only just field testing, but also, you know, some velocity based testing just to, to see speeds and all that stuff. And, and again, I'm jacked up and I love all those little details. I've just learned, man, with my population and who we're working with, you know, by the time you get into all the intricacies and the analytics, you just took up 12 minutes of a 60 minute session. Hey, let's just go. You feel good or great. I feel great. All right. Grab the twenties. You feel good. Grab the fifteens. You feel like shit. Grab the tens. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of that, off the cuff, I know what the goal is. I know what I want to get out of the session. And if I'm off percentage wise by 3%, that's going to make Ray Zingler mad. That's not going to make, you know, Nick Newton mad. That's not going to make, you know, he doesn't know. So, you know, that's, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Um, and do you, you jump typically on like your, what would be a max? So like maybe a Monday and then the dynamic day, for Thursday, Friday, for whatever sure. and, and that I'll day tell you is. Too, you know, okay. a lot of our kids, and obviously, right now, right now is a really weird time because you got to think: football's in season, volleyball's in season, fall baseball is here, basketball has a. You know, there's 
there's constantly stuff going on right now. So if that, let, let's say, let's say I was working with a basketball player that didn't have, it was a beginner or a very, very entry level intermediate who didn't have any AAU or any sports or anything else going on right now. I'll be honest. With you, I'll jump that kid every day. You know, we'll do some jump every single day, whether oh, wow. that's a no weighted vertical jump, whether that's a broad jump, whether it's a single leg jump, whether that's a depth jump, you know, I'll jump them every day. And that sounds crazy, but again, we're talking about a guy that squats 185 pounds. You know what I mean? Am I going to do that? Am I going to do that right. to a junior in college who has been training for five years, who can squat 315 and has a 42 inch vert? Hell no, I'll never do that. But with the kids, it, it it's hard because their jumps are not producing enough force to where they're getting a. I mean, any jump is a dynamic training effect. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, if I jump right. 26 inches and you jump 40 inches and we both do 20 jumps a day, you're going to feel a hell of a lot worse than I did tomorrow. You know what I mean? Because your, 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 your output is so much right, higher. Right. So I'm okay. doing it okay. as, hey, I believe if there's something important, let's do it every single day. And it also allows us to kind of excite the nervous system. So the kids come in, they're on their phone, they're slouched, they're blah, 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 blah. You know. Hmm. It's yeah, just exactly, bed say so I can exactly. chill. So, so why, right. is it going to kill a kid that squats 185 pounds with a 27-inch vertical to do 12 jumps every day? It's not going to, you know. And if I saw that it would have a regression, I would pull that. And I will say that as the kids get stronger, they're, I, I'm a lot more dialed in with their programming when i get a bare bones beginner and they all they're doing is goblet squats and push-ups and learning how to do a single leg squat they can do everything every day and again not to say that that's ideal right but again trying to recover from a 50 pound goblet squat and trying to recover from 375 <laughs> for three triples when you know that's your max it's it's a lot different of a ball game right um, so now, okay. So for the kid that can only yeah. squat, you know, a hundred pounds. Now you're, you said you jump them 20 jumps every day and you see them three to four times a week. What if you have that kid that can squat, he has a 40 inch vertical. Do you do like work up to a max with 40 jumps twice a week? Or are you doing like just trying to get 20? So like quickly warm up and then do 20 jumps total twice a week. Like I just want to know, cause you know, like Louie does, 40 40 i know bird is like yeah oh yeah yeah well, i don't yeah, know if oh, yeah. you know bird i'm pretty sure you know bird well he, when i had him on he was like well i do 20 i'll go sprint or i'll squat and then come back and do work up to a max and try For to sure. do another 20 like that like i just want to know like how, how so you layer, what i would do layer that. and again even with the stronger kids it's obviously different from everybody given the situation and what's going on again i want to preface everything by you know that stupid answer it just depends <laughs> But, but basically what I would have is let's just say we had two jump days a week. I would, I would mm -hmm. almost model their jumping like a dynamic effort squat day. So if it's eight triples or eight doubles, I'd have one day where it would be maybe 16 jumps, maybe it'd be 20 jumps, maybe it'd be 12 sets of two, 10 sets of three. It would model that, that dynamic effort squat routine, so to speak. So that would be our, our quote unquote dynamic day. It would probably be, let's just say 20 mm. jumps. And then on one day of the week, I'd have what I'd consider kind of like a max effort day. So, so what I would say is 
again, it's different on everybody. I'm just trying to think in my head as we're talking, you know, specific individuals that I've worked with and how it works. If I know Jimmy's vertical is, is 40 inches and I want him to get in the realm of 40 inches on that day, if he can get there in, in, in three jumps, seven jumps, 16 jumps, then it's going to be case dependent because I know I want to, if we're not going to PR, I want to get very close to that PR. That said, if, if we're a 40 inch jumper and he's consistently jumping 36, 37, 37, five, and he's not going to get near 40 doing 47 jumps. Isn't, isn't the answer for him. Cause obviously you hit a point of diminishing return. Right. So again, I wish I had mm-hmm. more structure into exactly how I set the jumps up, but I really, because again, I'll tell you, like we said earlier, the majority of the kids are those beginners or those intermediates who are not jumping that high. So again, to get the 40 jumps here, the 40 there, the 20 and 20, you know, I, I, I don't get super crazy about it because again, they don't. Because they don't need it. Or one, one it, kid it, may need it, one exactly. kid may not. Exactly, and that's so like where it's said, just it hard because, hey, if I was dealing with all. all right. right. Oh, I'm no, old, so I need sure. all 40 exactly. to warm up. It's, and it's funny that, you know. <laughs> The 17, 18-year-old, you know, I've had kids, man, and I, and I just think it's art. They'll come into the gym, you know, wearing slides. They'll, they'll slip their freaking, you know, ultra boots on, not even tied, and they'll jump 40 inches and sit down and eat Cheetos, you know. And I'm thinking, goodness, yeah, you know, it's crazy. God damn. Yeah. And, and these what are, the these are, you hell? know, big-time, you know, Division One <laughs> football guys that obviously got – got a little bit to them but you know and, and that's what i say is like an athlete is an athlete you know they're gonna jump and they're gonna jump you know right. i agree with you i need i need a lot of volume because again i have to work up it, it's like a build-up almost you know i i, I jump you know, yeah yeah you gotta get that confidence yep, you gotta break gotta everything go down you know i'm if i'm a <laughs> Yeah, if I'm a Do some tempering. vertical, you know, I, hey, if you held a gun to my head, I could go jump 34 inches right now. But if I, if I wanted to warm myself up properly, I might start my session at two and I might not hit that 34 until 315. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's, it's just, right. it's, it's one of those that, you know, tracking and I think the structure, I think all of that is, is definitely so important. But I also understand too that, these kids need to be able to do more than jump. They need to be able to do more than sprint. They need to be able to do more than squat. So if there's so many different components into a team sport athletes program, you know, think about 40 jumps or think about 20 jumps. If I got a kid for 60 minutes who is a 375 pound squatter who plays football, you know, if I needed to warm him up adequately, adequately to get his 20 or 40 jumps or whatever that number is, we're eating 36 minutes of his session and I still want to squat the kid. I want a single leg. I want to carry. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different things. Yeah, you know, there's core connective so tissue. Where, yeah, you right. Know, as much as I love Westside, and I always mess with my powerlifter buddies. You know, they start a workout at noon, and they don't they don't they don't take their their protein shake until five o'clock because they take two hours in between every damn set. But shoot, but they not reading they not reading oh, Westside because I know they get in and get out, oh, or they break sure. up they the workouts or what you know what I mean, like. Accessory in the evening, and they, they push the tempo, the GPP, and all that stuff. So yeah, definitely not. Well, Louis' old guys, Louis oh, now complains sure. these for new sure. guys are lazy. <laughs> so he's shitting on them in the conjugate club. So oh, no I can't get anybody to work. Funny, right you know, and, and I get it. You know, the population. <laughs> if, if all you gotta do is squat, bench, and deadlift, you know, and these guys, especially these young guys, which are just crazy, crazy strong, man. You know, they 
if, if you know, we had a guy yeah. come in. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jamal Browner. He's a you know thousand pound deadlifter. He trains at uh, Marietta Barbell, actually here in Marietta. No, I have to send him to you. He's no, no. an ox, man, and, and you know he's he's pulled a thousand pounds raw. You know, just just stupid strong. And during the pandemic, you know, all the gyms were closed Damn. down because mine is private. You know, he he came into our gym, was training, and um, you know, one of the most nice. powerful human beings I've ever seen. You know, just crisp with technique. But you know, my knock and I and I give him hell, man. Is I tell him, hey, there's a two hour window that the gym is vacant, you know, take your time, come on in, get your training in two hours. Hopefully that's plenty, you know, in two hours and 12 minutes in, you know, we're having to kick him out, not to be rude, but you know, it's like we operate on the hour, man. And some of these guys, you know, they take so long to train that said, you know, if I was a thousand pound deadlifter, I'd probably take my sweet time too. You know, so it's just a matter of, you know, Oh, he's probably, how big is he? I 242. Um, I'll send it to you on Instagram. He, oh, he's yeah, he's two forty two. He deadlifts. Stupid man. He's a sumo guy. Damn. Um, but just yeah, yeah. So oh, it's, sumo. It's illegal, Whoa. But he still does it. But no, he uh, he's an animal pack guy. Um, <laughs> great, great kid. You know, he's he's super, super talented. And uh, I'll send it to you after this. He's not a West Side guy. He uh, he does a lot of SBD days, a lot of squat bench deadlift days. And I'm not exactly sure who does his programming. But um, just a pure technician, man. He's just a pretty hmm. lifter and uh, gets things done. But, uh, no, that was just kind of the, the joke that I'm thinking, hey, I need these guys to jump sprint bound. They need strength. They need, you know, pliability. They need injury prevention, which I know is obviously a, a tough word because not all injury is preventable. But, you know, there's so many different qualities that, you know, right. run-of-the-mill 15-year-old baseball player needs that, you know, because that is my major demographic – as much as I understand the West side templates and the models, I've got to cater my, my programming to my personnel versus just trying to implement, you know, the, the 10 out of 10 perfect program for a population who's only at a level of five Mm. out of 10. So again, I always revert back. I say it all the Mm. time to everybody, you know, I, I ideal is great. But realistic, if realistic's a six out of ten and ideal's a ten out of ten, I know I can't get ideal. So I'm going to try to be really, really good at realistic. You know, so that's kind of that area that we live in. Mm. Just because, again, the majority of our guys are the 14 to 18 year old athletes who, you know, I truly believe, unless you've had a lot of structured training, you're, you know, college guys are, are still in that beginner phase. You know, you don't have a, you've got a couple freaks out there, but you know, a 180 pound defensive back in college at 19 or 20 years old can be a very strong, explosive athlete. But when it comes to the weights, he's a lot of them are still beginners or intermediates, you know, at, at best. So, yeah. yeah, especially with form and controlling the body, understanding the weight. And as soon as you introduce a new bar, a new like if you go from back squat to oh, front squat, it's a whole nother animal. So you change the box height, change the stance. And that's the thing. It's like, you I'm know. trying to get these guys to box squat with half decent form. And now I need to change, you know, and that's the thing. Obviously those Louie and those guys, they rotate every week or every two weeks, which again, it makes sense. You don't want to adapt to a certain load. So you change one small parameter. I, you know, I definitely get that. But the <clears> other <throat> side of that coin is let's say I do have that 18 year old who's a pure football player, a pure baseball player, doesn't care about lifting. I'm going to get him to get, moderately heavy with that single 
with a straight bar. And then now we're going to go to a heavy single with a safety squat bar that he's never used before. And then we're going to go to a Buffalo, bar. you know, it's like, Holy shit, we got to slow right. things down a little bit because again, mm. you and I can get mentally right. prepared for that change and understand the process of why we're doing what we're doing and how this works and why this works, you know, Brandon right. just wants to make a pick six and go score. You know what I mean? He doesn't care about West side or eight sets of this and that, you know, yeah. can you help me jump that jump higher? and run faster? <laughs> you know, Yes, we can. And, and there's just multiple ways right. to skin that cat. And if I can get a kid really good at realistic, that trumps being half-assed at optimal. You know what I mean? So that's that's that area that's just, you know, trying right. to serve the kid in the best way that will service him versus what I know to be true. It's certainly not a knock on Louie or any of those guys. He is He's forgot more than I'll ever know, and I have a lot of respect for him. But I also look at his population versus my population, and I got a bunch of bunch of kids that just want to swing the bat and throw the ball. So, yeah, I mean, everybody that goes there, no matter the sport, is like the top of the top, who's already has like a good introduction, and usually, are, oh, for like sure, all those sure. MMA guys, they're all pros. Yeah, like, right, <laughs> so, so they already can squat five, six hundred. But I think a lot of people that you know, it's like you yeah. and, and Bird, oh, yeah. and you know Jared Bitney from Explosive, they're taking everything they got from him and then see like how I can apply. And oh, I mean, it's sure. just it, another example of how you use conjugate. I mean, you're taking that term and just applying it. Like what, what does this person actually need? Not what amen. I wish they could do or wish amen. they want to and, do. And that's the thing. Is, what do they need? You know, <laughs> you hear all the guys, Oh, I train West side. I train West side. The only way you train West side is if you train at West side, you know, the, just because you follow the thing, you bought the shirt on <laughs> yeah. Google, you know, that, that doesn't mean you're West side. So, you know, yeah. if you look up conjugate, what is conjugate? Conjugate yeah. is a rotation. So how Louis applies that rotation, which is obviously the, the, the bread and butter of that modality, if I just know that to be a rotation, if my rotation looks different than your rotation and your rotation looks different than Louis's rotation, is it still a rotation? Yes. Is it still conjugate? Yes. It's just a different presentation of it. So, you know, I understand the maxes and why the importance of the rotation, because you're working up traditionally to a heavy single every week or every two weeks. We're not doing that, A, because my kids aren't ready for that, but B, we can still emulate those principles that work. So maybe the maybe the workload right, right, exactly. They also maybe don't exactly. get to rust. We live four to five, <laughs> they, they got, got practice. practice from five fifteen to seven thirty, and then they're gonna be up all night. They're not resting. They eat fifty grams of protein a day. You know, these guys are <laughs> trained at West Side, you know, their their lives are squat bench deadlift. My, my kids are, do I have to do goblet squats? You know, it, it's just, a, it's a, it's a, it's a different, different animal. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so why does a linear periodization you know, not work? Why do I you guess not use with, it? with me, you know, periodization is a funny word, man. It's something that obviously has merit, but you know, a lot of it, and I learned this from Buddy Morris, man, a lot of it is just ideas. And it's, it's one of those things that I think that, so many times we get so fixated on this program or that program or this methodology, that methodology, that at the end of the day, I truly believe this. And I something I stole from Dan John is, is everything works, you know, to a point, you know, for, for, for about six weeks, eight weeks, you know, everything works. So yeah, exactly. Super true. To me, you know, I don't want to say that it does or doesn't work. I think it's, it's, what you can realistically implement for a desired length of time, because I'll tell you this and I tell this to everybody, the shittiest program 
on earth performed with maximum intent and maximum maximum intensity is going to trump the best mm-hmm. program ever performed half ass. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that I don't I don't right. get into, you know, all the different ins and outs of this and that, this works, that works. It all works. It, it, it all works. It's just up into a point of how long is this going to work? And yeah, my, my answer to that question would obviously be a little right. bit different if I was working with the Louis Simmons clients of the world who are the elite of the elite, because at that point, you know, a five pound PR to a thousand pound squatter is much different than a five pound PR to a 300 pound squatter or 250 pound squatter. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can say the right. worst, pro- I can make the worst program in the world work for a 15 year old kid. You know what I mean? I just can do that. I'm not going to BS to BS or, you know, it's one of those things that <laughs> you can do that and how you get to that point, you know, whether that's, whether that's West side, whether that's traditional bodybuilding methods, whether that's, that that's linear, nonlinear, their bodies are, are so pliable and they're so new that they're going to re- react to just about any stimulus. So I know that's not the exact answer you were probably looking for, but again, I just get so, I get so bogged down in the terminology of thinking why this, why that, you know, it, it all works. It's just a matter of what works best for who you need it to work for. Oh God. So my next question up. is why do ladders? Not no, work? It, it, and it's funny, man, you know, <laughs> A lot of people think I hate ladders, and you know, they're, they're absolutely right. You know, no, but um, it's it's one of those things that I don't hate ladders. It's 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 something that you know I think for the younger populations, you know, to learn where to put their feet and to build you know motor skills and get in a routine and build a habit. They're fun. The kids can fly through them fast. You know, that's that's great. You know, I I, I said if we called the thing, you know a CNS activator ladder, then I would, I would have 400 of them, you know, I, I just, because Hey, it's not a bad thing to get in there and do Mickey shuffle and get the music going. My problem is, is what it's being sold <laughs> as, you know, I live and die every day. You know, my mm. goal is to help kids or athletes or whomever get bigger, stronger, faster. If it doesn't need to be bigger, at least stronger and faster. Usually good things happen when we increase those two qualities. But the, the issue that I have with them is, the kids see themselves moving fast in them. So they attribute that to being faster, you know, and then you have, you have these coaches who are not qualified. They don't understand, you know, anatomy and physiology and understand speed and understand strength and understand force production and power. But they don't understand these things. They just prey off of the kids who don't know. And then you're a coach who doesn't know. So now I'm coach X (laughs) who doesn't know what I don't know. And now I'm going to go train a kid who doesn't know what he doesn't know. So now we've got two guys that don't know what they're doing, thinking they're knowing what they're doing because they put a a music video on in the background and it looks cool, you know? So it's, it's just the, it's the stressor that, you know, strength and speed Mm -hmm. is very difficult. You know, if you use progressive resistance and you run, you know, with maximum intent a bunch of times in a row, you're probably going to, you're probably going to see some good things happen. (laughs) So it's just a matter of, you know, I see these kids and I appreciate them, man. They go out to the field and they're by themselves and they got their Bluetooth speaker and they're doing Icky Shuffle and one-legged hops and all these things. And then they're posting, hey, got my speed work in, whatever they want to call it. 
if they just took that ladder <laughs> and threw it 300 yards to where they never saw the thing ever again and spent that same 60 minutes running 10 40-yard dashes with full recovery in, it's not as fun and it's not as cute and it doesn't look as fancy. But what they thought they were actually developing with the ladder would actually be developed with just the basic sprinting. They don't need bands. They don't need parachutes. They don't need the bullshit. Not, not that all those are bad. I think all those have their place, you know, given the population that you're working with, provided you know how to use it properly. But it's just a shame because it is so simple, but our field is made, is made difficult by the egos of those who don't know. You know, I always say to people, you know, right. if I were to take my truck in for an oil change, and the mechanic, or let's just say I had an oil leak, and the mechanic was going to work on the was going to work on the truck. I would know whether or not that leak was fixed because I'd be able to see whether it was leaking oil or not. Well, with the kids with the speed ladders, they 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 think they're getting through the icky shuffle a little bit faster, and all of a sudden that's gonna that's gonna translate to their linear speed. And and there's no metric, there's no testing, there's nothing to prove that. But they feel fast, and they think they're they're doing something. So again, it's more or less. I think it's ignorance on a coach's part. Hey, if you want to call the thing a central nervous system activator, go right ahead and do it. But you know, for these kids to go through thirty and forty-five minute sessions of these thirty different, you know, ladder drills, it's just it's just wasting <laughs> time. Time is our most valuable commodity, and we got kids and coaches being assholes for thirty minutes a day. And I just uh, I just think it's robbing from the kids because it's not allowing them to maximize their time effectively. So you're going to spend 30 minutes getting wore out when you could have spent that 30 minutes building up to eight max effort, 30 yard sprints. You know, you know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. (laughs) Um, When do you use explosive strength? So again, this is another one that's, that's going to be a tough answer just because again, the explosive and the speed, you know, (laughs) Do, do you use these modalities with a kid that has not is not squatting sufficient enough weight to where he can get a training effect from a from a explosive strength phase? You know, you know exactly. So Light again, weight. just to use right. it as an example. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and again, I don't want you to think that you know I don't have opinions and thoughts on these certain things. But again, dealing with a certain demographic. <laughs> You know, I'm ultra focused on who I'm working with and, and, and it might be better if, if let's just say you have a max effort day and a, and a, let's say I get a kid twice a week and you got a max effort day and a dynamic effort day. Well, it's probably more beneficial for me to be honest with you, to have a max effort day and a repetition day because Jimmy who squats 185 is going to develop more strength that will in turn be able to be generated into speed strength or dynamic strength down the road by working that volume with the eights versus what? Okay. He squats 185 and now we're going to put 60% on the bar and go eight doubles with, with a hundred pounds. You know, he, he could throw the thing over his head. You know what I mean? So it's just a matter of, you know, right. waving that is not very applicable for us and what we do at our gym. So that would be my, my perfect example for that question would be that's where that's where I get away with jumping every day because again a kid is going to get a much more explosive or or speed strength training effect from such something like a jump than he will with a hundred pound a hundred pound squat so you know that's just uh you know right well that that's important because I have a few of the basketball players that they're like 16 years old 
because they only can squat 185. So then their explosive or speed strength is going to be 75 pounds. Makes right. No sense it, it, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, again, it, okay. it's the weakest. Because it's still yeah, not moving that exactly. fast. Exactly. Now we don't have the squatting, motor control. So and we don't have, the, neuron, okay, okay, we don't okay. have the mind muscle connection to be able to stabilize and explode and use power. You know, the only way to, you know, display force is to have the force to be able to display. And if we don't have that, you know, again, that kind mm. of circles back to my, my realistic versus optimal. That yeah, I want to follow. I want to follow conjugate right. like it's written, and I want to have the days that we do this, that, and the other. But again, that's kind of adjusting my training to my personnel. And again, my answer to this question: If I had you know seventy guys that squatted over five plates aside, I'd have I'd have a different answer because obviously you know the dynamic work or the speed strength work that 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 would be more applicable to that demographic. But being that I've got all the baseball players and basketball and football players that don't have that quality, which again, what I like for them to sure. But at the end of the day, my focus is more on helping Jimmy get better at baseball or basketball than it is him becoming a better lifter. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm focused on, you know, okay, well, I know that his rotational power has been a struggle of his. So, you know, maybe as much as I want to focus on, the dynamic effort squat day, maybe we're going to get a better training effect for him by doing a rotational med ball throw. You know what I mean? So, so we're, we're going to put that in there where right. that may not be a main priority of obviously a West side barbell lifter who squats, you know, a thousand pounds. That's going to be what helps, you know, Eric on his turnover or, or, or you know, when he's in the batter's box, that, that, that's going to help that quality. So it's not that I'm gung ho and jacked up about that, but, if that's going to get him to go two for three instead of one for three, now now we've had the carryover. And again, I know you can't necessarily measure right. that metric, but I think you get my point that we've got to we've got to implement the yeah. modality based on the individual. Right. Um. Do Do you use tempo the tempos, work? Yes. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll go as far as like running or lifting. What do you mean as far as the tempos? Uh, lifting, lifting, lifting. Actually, my next session will be the tempo runs because I need to learn a little more about about that. But first, yeah, I, not, not I, really, I wanted to know, know about in, the lifting. In all honesty, yeah. you know, and, and here's why. It's something that, yeah. I just been know, hearing about it, so I just want to know. Again, all these things yeah. are awesome, and they all work, like I said, and they all make sense. But, you know, the reason no is, is just because let's say, all right, the majority of our kids are training two to three days a week. We have a couple that are four. We've got a couple that are five times a week. Um, mm. and, and, and let's just say, uh, you know, I got this term from Joe DeFranco, training economy, where I want to do the biggest bang for the most buck exercises and the, and the things that we need to focus on and whether that's the squat the bench, the deadlift, the overhead press, the single leg, whatever that is that we're trying to focus on and work on. If I can just get three days to be able to squat, bench, and deadlift, that's, that's, that's a blessing that I've never seen. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, it's, it's so impossible to try to dabble in these other little areas, at least for us, because of, all right, well, let's say I had Jimmy who wanted to have a certain quality day but now he's not showing up and then he misses a day and then he was going to come the next day and couldn't come that day. But then it's a squat, you know, it's, you just run into yourself there. So, 
you know, that is not something that we've necessarily mm-hmm. dabbled with because our main focus on is, hey, let's get let's get the biggest bang for the buck stuff, which for us is kind of that five three one West Side for skinny bastards type template that, you know, again, we've got to we've got to do all we can to try to just give them the basics. Um, and then tell me about the tempo works for run for tempo, sure. So, tempo runs. Yeah, so those will definitely do. be when do in more of them? a GPP phase. Like for example, a lot of times in the summers, you know, do a lot of conditioning work with a lot of football guys. So obviously, as we're further away from the season, I'm working on more of an aerobic or endurance type phase to kind of prepare them for their for their uh, excuse me prepare their bodies for the work ahead. So we'll implement tempo runs sort of in that early preseason type phase. So for example, let's just use football as an example. They start the season in late August, you know, let's just say September 1st, we'll put the tempos and those type of exercises and they're running, you know, back in, you know, May, June. And then as we get closer to July, I will kind of rid, I don't necessarily rid them all together. They won't be as prevalent. Because as we get closer to the season, our workload will emulate more of the demands of the game. So what I mean by that is football, for example. You know, football is a game where you have a, a four to five second play followed by a 20 to 30 second recovery period. It's obviously an anaerobic sport for most positions. So during that late summer, that's when we'll get away. Because, again, the, the aerobic base is already built. The GPP is done. And now we'll train in a way, for example, we'll have a four-second sprint followed by a 30-second recovery period, a four-second sprint followed by a 30-second recovery period. And that is going to obviously have more of the conditioning or sports-specific conditioning effect than the tempos, but the tempos are utilized early GPP to kind of prepare their bodies for the demands that are coming around the corner. So... So let's say if you have a bunch of kids, would you basically be running them? Maybe here's a marker 30 yards out. Run for sure. It, then rest for 30 seconds. Could you do exactly, it like that? Exactly. Just because it's everybody's going to be know, different we, we speeds. Have, uh, we did, that's something very similar to what we did, you know, obviously this summer. And I'll have the kids. I, I usually run them in two to three groups. So let's say we have 15 kids out there, you know, get five people around your same, same speed or conditioning <laughs> level and X5 and X5. And then, yeah, you'd go your you'd go your 30 or 40 yards or whatever that metric was, and then you'd rest for 30 or 40. And then, you know, a couple of them will have a watch on or whatever, and they'll be able to kind of hold their group accountable. But you nailed it. You know, if you were to do that, you, everybody would look good mm. for the first two or three runs. But, you know, by the time you got around the corner, you know, somebody wouldn't even be starting one of the runs where somebody else would be finished. So, again – especially because I'm working with team sport athletes and obviously not individual sport athletes, track and field or what have you, you know, I don't care too much about the time and them improving drastic. I mean, obviously you want to improve in everything you do, but again, the goal of our tempos is just to establish a base. You know, it's not that I have some crazy difficult test that I expect or demand or want them to have at the end of the day, you know, sucking a little bit less than you did last time at tempos is all we want to do, you know? So. <laughs> right. Um, how often do you have so your athletes that is something that we will rotate 
from a standpoint of, let's just say, you know, and this is funny you ask this, you know, we just ran a cycle with some of our baseball players. And it was one of those six week cycles that I talked to you about. We ran a five, three, one, five, three, one, and then maxed them. So a way that we kind of conjugated our program is we did our first three week wave of free squats. And then the second three week wave, we box squatted them. And then on the seventh week, we tested the free squat. And the reason we did that because a lot, and again, these kids were what I would call proficient in the squat. They're not masters at the squat. They're not perfect at it, but they're definitely proficient in the squat. So again, that allowed them, even though that's not a traditional by the book conjugate method, that allowed them to see the one stimulus that they were comfortable with. Then the next stimulus, which they weren't comfortable with, because all summer, a lot of the time, because these kids were, were competent in the free squat, we would free squat them and then that bo- the the box squat we use that that was more for our perspective as breaking the squat up into two components you know you you have you know obviously a descend and then you got to accelerate the weight up so it's basically a glorified pause for is, is the purpose that we were using it for so to answer your question in full mm-hmm. we use the free squat probably more predominantly with our squatters that are comfortable squatting and show proficiency in the squat. A lot of times for beginners, I love the box squat, not for the reason that most people enjoy the box squat, but because it gives, it gives a beginner a landing point. You know what I mean? All I, you know, you can put a bar on your back and you you tell them to sit back Mm. And then, you know, you'll usually put a 12-inch box or go 14-inch box. Obviously, it's dependent on mobility. I'm not super particular. I want to make sure that everybody at our gym owns positions. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to have a kid squat ass to grass and compromise his low back. I'd rather have a kid be strong as an ox and be three inches high because he's got mobility issues. But if he owns that position that's three inches high – Again, training team sport athletes, they've never put a barbell on the football, baseball, or basketball court. So I'm not super, super concerned with how deep or perfect their squat is. But with the beginners, it's just been a nice, nice treat to be able to have them sit back, control, 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 sit completely on the box and drive out. Then eventually, you know, as they get to learn that, they can they can use the box squat in more of its traditional you know, use, but kind of the hierarchy that we use at the gym. If we get a kid brand new, that's Mm. never, never trained before, doesn't, doesn't have real, any, any real experience. The first movement we'll use is a hinge and then we'll go a body weight box squat to a a body weight squat to a box. Again, the box is predominantly used as a a landing zone. And then we will use, we'll take the box away and then we'll just have Mm. a, a um, body weight squat. So they kind of use the same, you know, thoughts, sit back, weight in your heels, et cetera, um, for their body weight squat. And then the next progression would be a barbell box squat. And then kind of the last progression we would use is the, is the barbell free squat, you know. And again, this all goes back to it all works, you know, everything works. And whether that's, you know, box squat, no box squat, right. you know, a lot of it, and I'll be honest with you that we use the free squat is we train a lot of guys 
and the flow of the session, if we've got 12 guys and we got four wrecks, you know, you have different heights. We're adjusting this. We're fixing different that. heights. And, and, and the kids. There you go. Yeah. I understand that. Shit <laughs> about a box. You know what I mean? So, so again, what, what Jared's doing down at yeah, explosive yeah. and all that. You know, I, I, I love that guy. I love everything he's doing. You know, I'm sure he's, you know, he's a lot smarter than me. So he's running some different programs, but again, on that real listening, <laughs> yeah, he's Jared, a wizard. Yo, he's a wizard. He's but, you know, cat, if, really. I got, <laughs> if I got 15 kids in the gym and we got 60 minutes and there's seven things I want to do that day, are we going to get down and pull the mat off and load that back up, take the weight off, run here, over there, you know, all for. And they don't have con. They don't have West yo, Side uh, hospitality. Yeah, it, That's not the it, right it, word. Exactly. But one person's right, taking right, off weight because right, right, it's all uh, different uh, heights. You know, yeah, like, you know, like that's not gonna work. Got to go check his phone and then this and that. But yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny. You got to check his TikTok and his messages. That's the real so, side yeah. of it. That's why I never try to be anything more than I yeah. am. You know, I'll, I'll have anybody come to my gym any day of the week. You're going to see kids messing around. They're going to be on their phone. They're going to, they're teenagers, you know? So to think that, you know, my gym, it looks like my Instagram. Yep. Yep. I know. (laughs) Perfect. And we're doing everything with great technique. You know, it's not, it's not that. So, you know, I would say that the reason we use the free squat more so is just from a, a convenient standpoint. And I truly believe training is nothing more than a stimulus. It's just a way to activate the body and the body is going to respond to the stress placed upon it. And if I've got a baseball player who only cares about throwing 87 miles an hour and a box squat is going to help that. And a free squat is going to help that. I'm not losing sleep at night over. Should I do this or should I do it's It's going to work, you know, and that's just my expense. 10 years of, right. of testing it right. and, and judging, you know, I, it's hard because as a lifting guy, I want to judge everything on the lifting metrics. You know, I want to judge it on the box squat. I want to judge it on the squat, the deadlift, this and that, and say, hey, how are we progressing here? But where I've kind of humbled myself is my my biggest metric is their performance in sport. So I can sit here and flex my muscles about how I've gotten all these kids so strong and right. so fast and blah, blah, blah. I'd rather have a kid minimally progress on his max effort squat variation and have him kick ass on the football field, then vice versa. You know, the last thing I want to do is create a bunch of weight room guys that are awesome in the weight room but can't perform in pads. So, you know, again, it's just learning that I, if I am who I say I am, which is a, a sports performance or a physical preparation specialist, my goal is to help people with exercise that translates to performance on the field. And it's funny, man. Sometimes, you know, I'll have the guy – that doesn't deadlift as much as his buddy next to him, but he can throw a med ball a little bit further just because he's a little bit snappier. And the kid that can throw the med ball further than the guy that can deadlift more than mm-hmm. him is usually a better, a better athlete on the field, you know, you, you know, and, and that's just, and, and Hey, I can't yeah, say that's yeah. with every single individual in the world, but from seeing it firsthand time and time again, it's it's it, the weight room is not the be all end all. Yeah, I mean, like it's personally for me, it's like I can squat a lot more than even there's yeah. some kids in Jared or like at the gym now that I work at the rack. And right, I can squat sure. almost 450, but I can only jump 30. So 
it, like my fast switch is much much lower because right, i was doing bodybuilding sure. too it, goddamn long before i found out about west side so it's like who cares exactly. how heavy their squat is let's see how high they can jump for, for their sure. sport that, you know and dribble that basketball for a long period that of time same way you know i have a kid this summer who jumped 40 inches He's probably a 315-pound squatter, 365 maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I've had a kid that squatted 405 right. ten, who couldn't jump. Right. At, he couldn't jump out of bed. You know what I mean? So, so it's just like, what, the, what do you really care about? You know, <laughs> and, and, hey, I love uh, both kids dearly. One is a Division One athlete right now. The other, and the other one is is not. And I love right, exactly. Both, One's going to get the scholarship. One that is the is the scholarship guy is not the guy who squatted 405 for 10. So, you know, that's kind of my, my basis of, Hey, are we creating weight room guys? Or are we creating on the field guys or on the court guys? And that's my, my goal. I guess, and people got to understand, it's like, oh, they, sure. they do need, they both need to lift, but you got to know of that diminished returns, right? Like after a while, it's like, all right, the kids max squat doesn't need to go. What is his like? What is his jumping? What is his his explosive strength? How does he move lighter weight? How fast does he move it? Because like he like I may squat for something, but if for we sure. go both to two hundred, he may move two hundred faster than I do, even though I squat so much more. So you know, like too many people, it's like they're right. Like, even and, though and they, yes, the they're a conjugate guy, but it's like too, right, how you are know, you people always talking athlete? about speed training, you know? speed training, speed training. How many sprints? How much distance? How often? You know, and I always say this is a very simple mm. formula that I found to work. The stronger the guys are, they need less strength work and more speed work. And the reason they need that is because they can produce more force sprinting a lot of times than they can with right. with lifting. And that's the guys that I will have a max effort day for once every two weeks. Yeah. And they'll have dynamic work and sprint work because that athlete is going to get more of a training effect from that sprint work. And that dynamic work, I'd rather see him move 225 blazing fast and go low and slow with 405. You know what I mean? So so that's the guy that's going to increase his speed with the sprint work and the dynamic work, in my, in my opinion. And then the kid, this is the other thing that drives me nuts, is I get these dads, you know, oh, we want him to be faster. We want him to be faster. And they, again, this circles back to what we were talking about earlier. They don't know what they don't know. Instagram tells them to do the speed ladders and the bungee cords and all this stuff. The only way somebody's going to be fast is if they have the ability to produce force and display into the ground. And these kids that can't do that, they're going to get much more of a speed training right. return by getting stronger because they're going to be able to produce force. You know, so many guys, you know, and, and hey, sprinting is good for everybody. I think, you know, you obviously have to learn how to run, but, you know, sprinting is never a bad thing. That said, you know, these kids want to run a fast quarter mile time with a Honda Civic. You know what I mean? It's like, you, you've, you've got to build, you've got to build what's under the hood before. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've got to. So, you know, it, it's, it's more I don't do a ton of sprint work with my beginners or my eighth, ninth, even 10th grade guys, you know, year round because a, they're going to get plenty of it from their sporting practice. B, They've got to get stronger to be able to display that force. If I had a kid that came to me who squatted 500 pounds and he ran a 5.240 and he wanted to run a 4.8, I sure as hell wouldn't be doing many back squats with him because we've already got enough strength 
Now we need to learn how to display that. Right. I, I, I would live in that eight sets of two, eight sets of three, 60, 70% round. And we'd go sprint our asses off with high quality max effort sprints. Because again, taking his squat from 500 to 525 is, is not the answer for him. You know? Right. Um, when you use box squatting, how do you rotate between hard boxes? For me personally, and soft boxes, I will rotate like which one very, very frequently more? for the kids. And this is more of a more of a learning mm. thing than anything else. We stick with the hard box just because I'm trying to teach. Obviously, with the box squat, control to the box. I always say, you know, land on a land on a carton of eggs. Land on a carton of eggs. Don't break the eggs. Because if, if we just put the soft oh, box like that. on a beginner's box okay. squat, they can plop and they can make it look okay. You know what I mean? Like you, you can you can hide that plop because you can absorb the absorb the <laughs> cushion and go. So for us, because we don't use box squats all too frequently, right. which you know again every case is different. But like I was saying earlier, from the convenience and the rela- you know reliability of you know, maximizing our time, I, 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 we don't use many of them. But when we do, which again, I shouldn't say is never, I mean, it's definitely rotated in there. When we do, I like a hard box and, and even we'll, we'll stack mats or we'll stack bumper plates based on heights or whatever. And I really want my biggest thing for these young kids and for the kids that aren't strong enough is I want the box squat to be utilized to teach control more than anything else you know that's going to be my biggest my biggest bang for them is the control and i don't want them to cheat for one second that control to the box you know what i mean and the hard box tells all in my opinion you know (laughs) i know what i'm doing you know what you're doing with a soft box where you can sit back reach feel it you know where the hard's coming sit and go you know you, you can feel that and see that because you're thinking about it and you know why you're doing it Johnny's going to sit down right. as hard as he can and explode off the softbox and then argue with me for 20 minutes that he was controlled the whole time. You know, and so, so it's just, it's, it's just not, not practical. I think, I think there is a nice yeah, yeah. Of having a 12 <laughs> or a 14, 16 inch box in some cases. And for a kid to sit controlled down to the box, back, 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 nice upright position, shin angles, correct. And then drive out of the hole, spreading the floor. That to me for again, our population is all I'm ever going to need for them. If they can do that with efficiency and then they can translate to a free squat. Hey, I'll, I'll start messing with bars. I'll start messing with chains. I'll start messing with bands. But if we've got a half decent looking barbell free squat and a half decent looking barbell box squat, that kid has enough tools to be able to improve himself in the weight room that's going to translate to the field. It may not be the most perfect program for the lifter, but again, circling back and not to repeat myself, I'm not training lifters. I'm training athletes, you know? So. <laughs> Correct. Um, which do you use more so, chains or bands? And I am more of a chain like guy. For bench we'll, we'll definitely deadly. use bands, but the chains again, and it's funny, you know, I keep circling myself, but, you know, a lot of it is just as, a, you know, just to be real with you and the practical side of things, the chains from a convenience standpoint, you know, 
we know how to set them up every time. You clip them onto the carabiner, you load them up, you go. There's different ones set up for different heights. But with the bands, now one of the bands on the left side of the rack was double double banded. The guy on the right single banded it. And now the tension street. It's yeah, yeah. funny, but but yeah, they bust and they now elite FTS or whatever. And when the bands wear down sometimes. The bands out, so that messes up the cycle. The chains, I can leave them out. So I can leave them in the ocean for three years, and they're still going to work for me. You know what I mean? So it's just the the, the practicality of it. Um, what I will mm-hmm. typically do, and again, this is going to be for those couple of the anomaly clients that you know are strong enough to need the the added resistance with the chains. But I would, for example, on a on a squat bench dead phase again for my guys would be the intermediates and again there's only a few of these i would personally i would keep the straight weight the same and i'd run like a three-week cycle of just progressively adding chain weight and then going for rep prs so let's just say we're doing a, a threes wave to where we'd have a set of three at 65%, 75%, 85%. I, I'd find a good working weight. Let's just say 75%. And then week one, I'd have 20 pounds of chains. Week two, or 40 pounds. Week two, I'd go, I'd double it. So I'd go 40 or 20, 20, 80. And then I'd go 120 that final week. And then I'd let them pull a rep PR in the deadlift or a squat rep PR with the squats. Um, same thing with the bench press. But Again, just to be flat honest with you, we don't use too many of the chains because, again, I don't want to say there's a threshold where you have to be strong enough to be able to use these things. But I'll tell you this, if, 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 if Jimmy Squatnax is 195 pounds, he's got a lot more time that he needs to put under straight weight than he does focusing on, on the chains. So, you know, yeah. They can't control it. I, I've noticed that. Well, bands, I think it's even worse. It, they're great, but if the kid is really weak, you, oh, it, when they, you yeah, ever see the kid that can't swallow, they unrack like and, 80 and, pounds you know, of band, again, and they almost I fly back the off their heels. So Where it is already <laughs> tough enough for me, all right, a two-step walkout, settle, push the floor away, spread your toes, chest up, sit back, and now now I've got I've to right. trick him even more. Right. You, you know, so again, for me – I'd love to mess with them, you know, being a decently strong yeah. guy back when I was, you know, helping on max strength work. I've obviously kind of evolved just because, again, I try – I know I'm training athletes, so I want my training to, I guess, emulate more of the looks of the demands of the athlete than just the max strength work. But, um, you know, we also use chains kind of just for fun days, mm. even for accessory type stuff. So, like, what we'll do – Let's say I want the kids to compete on a floor press day. We'll put 135 a straight weight on, and we'll just do doubles with 135. Mm. Then we'll add a chain, and then we'll do doubles. And then we'll add two chains, three chains, four chains, five chains. You know, So it's a way for them to compete, and it's also safe because the range of motion is so little to begin with. You have a spotter right there who can load it. And it's, it's, it's more of a fun thing versus, you know, all right. This kid's been with me. He squats 275. He's made a ton of progress. Do I need to throw bands on the bar? And like you said five seconds ago, 
jiggle all over the place and tear us up, you know, or why don't we just keep hammering the pavement with what works? So you don't have kids that are strong enough or have them typically long enough for a lengthened enough period of time to demand us to use the bands and chains simply because they're getting enough of a response without it that why, why am I going to change the tire that's not flat? You know what I mean? So I, I'm, I'm not going to throw, we're not, we're not hitting that point of right. stagnation because again, a lot of my training is sub-maximal to begin with. So we're going to, I'd rather PR five pounds a month every month for a year, two years. You know, obviously it, it slows down once you get to be stronger, but I think you get the point. I'd rather be, I'd rather, I'd rather be sub-maximal and constantly progress and always have a little bit in the tank for their practices or for their games than sit here and go a true max effort, not be able to recover from it, be sore, be confused. I don't understand why am I doing the change. Now the band, you know, we're still in that let's hammer the hell out of the basics phase with a lot of the kids. So it just doesn't have, you know, I wish I could be more thorough with the answer because obviously I understand right. it's a great question. It's just a population thing for me that, you know, we get we get damn good results for the kids that we're working with sticking with straight weight. Right. Um, what do you for, do for conditioning for, and what is the distances um, and weights look like? Weights for conditioning or just general conditioning all together? Like, what do you mean? Uh... I would say, for let's sure. say, let's like, like farmer's walk sleds. Uh, I don't know if you have a yoke carry, you know, it's just different stuff like that. Like, what do you do for, what, what does the distances right. look like and, and what does the weight look like? I know obviously right. just general, that's depending yeah, on the sport, but like, yeah. So like awesome, if you do baseball, awesome. you do basketball, yeah. you do so football and you have I'm, a sled, what are you doing for yeah. Weighted carries, you know, we yeah. spend a lot of time with weighted carries. I think that's one of the best ways, you know, I hear everybody want to train their core, you know, with core work, you know, with a weighted carry, we use tons of variations. We'll use just straight farmer's walks, suitcase carries, uh, single arm over the head. We call them Statue of Liberty carries, med ball carries. Um, any, any type of carry we'll definitely use for conditioning. And at my gym, we have, you know, the gym is up on a little bit of a hill. We all will go to the mailbox and back. The mailbox is probably 30 yards away. So you're there and back. That's 60 yards. And we'll do three to four sets of that. Um, so I don't know what it is. Four sets times six, 240, 250 yards. And there'll be. Right. For sure. For sure. That's for your shorter. No, so, that, well, that would be for like and, baseball. And, and again, football, right? It's all. Case so what if it are was talking basketball? about the spring? Are we talking about the fall? Are we talking about heavy AAU season? You know, what's going on. But um so, no, that, you know, <laughs> and it's okay, tough, right. man, because basketball, right. for example, and as you know, this work on a lot of basketball, there's a lot of there's a lot of certain demands that the kids need. So, it, 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 you know, football is easy. You know, OK, I know exactly what happens. Yeah, it's right? a tough it's sport. Four seconds of a play <laughs> followed by 25 seconds yeah. of rest. You know, that's that's something that's pretty consistent. Yes, there are some plays that go longer. Yes, there's some times right. where an offense is running a hurry-up offense. In basketball, you know, you can be hands on your knees, you know, preparing for an offensive drive coming your way, or you can be a transition defense right now. You know what I mean? There, there's just so many different 
Yes. Yeah, right. You could do right. three minutes and where no one that, scores. You constantly run for like 60% of a sprint, or you could sprint and stop for 40 seconds because so it was a technical very, foul. It's very difficult, yeah. you know. So would you train all? I, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. I and that, and <laughs> would you train all all things that, for, for conditioning? It's going to be more of an endurance-based conditioning. So, again, that's where I think some of those tempo runs would definitely be in. Um, you know, here's my thing with the farmer's carries, for example, and it's not that it's a bad exercise because I believe that builds general strength and conditioning. The same thing with the sled. Looking at basketball and understanding that it's a very twitchy sport, you know, there's a lot of jumping, a lot of change of direction, a lot of landing, a lot of transition, back pedal, shuffle. There's, there's a lot going on. If you want my best answer for a basketball player, for example, I'd say go play three on three. Mm-hmm. And, and as silly as that sounds, you're able to replicate the demands of the unknowns of the game. And you're also improving your skills simultaneously. So yes, the farmers carries the sled walks, the, the um, one thing I like to do is we don't have a West side or a, a platform is I'll get, I'll hook a band, like an orange, like an average band to a power rack and I'll put it around their waist and they'll have them walk out two or three steps to where there's a little bit of resistance. And I'll give them like an 80 or a hundred pound med ball and I'll have them march. You know, they'll march for 60 seconds, throw it down for 60 seconds, march for 60 seconds, throw it down for 60 seconds. But um as far as general conditioning, you know, I, I think every sport needs an aerobic base to where you've got, you know, a work capacity that allows you to be able to work for your sport. But then beyond that, you know, the best thing I can think of for basketball is just go play. You know, I mean, if, 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 if you know, if, if you, if you've got, if you can go play three on outside or go to a buddy's house, hop in an LA fitness pickup game, you know, it's, it's obviously not as, as mandated as far as timeouts and quarters and halftime, but the beauty of it, you want to talk about building sports specific elasticity and putting the joints in different positions. You're not going to replicate that with any exercise in the weight room or on the track. You're just not going to get that. So to me, if I can go play pickup basketball and I can jump and plant and land and shift and move and get back on defense and I can do that over and over and over, that's the best way to build those specific qualities for a basketball player. So again, I would have the the aerobic base, just the general GPP or work capacity training, you know, four or five months out from the season, really whenever they have the ability to start it. But, you know, preseason can't you know a month out two months out go play the game man go play the game so we Um, have got what sort of specialty equipment do you have at your gym bars uh safety squat bars um what are they called swiss bars and then so that's that's our biggest thing and again We've got all these tools, but again, knowing the population, if the straight bar is going to work for the majority of the guys, we're going to use the straight bars. The beauty of the specialty equipment is we are able to take a guy that's got an injured shoulder, he's got an elbow problem, and now we can, instead of putting him in external rotation with a barbell back squat, yep, yep. Oh, yeah, no, they, 
Yeah, they can't. They can't. The basketball so, players, they can't outside, even use a, a damn straight bar. Yeah, same thing with, with front squats and all that stuff. Do you need that damn six, wrist six don't, it don't a, work. A shoulder squat, don't work. Position? You know, I don't think so. You know, a safety squat bar can skin that same cat and give you the same training mm. effect without having to make the kid miserable and put him in a compromised position. So, outside of the bars, um, I'll just give you a quick little rundown of everything we got. We got a couple sleds in there. We have these uh, Shornex racks, which are awesome because we have these, uh, what are the jammer arms. And what's cool about these jammer arms is you can kind of, oh, is that right? Awesome. Mm. My gym is supposed to be getting them soon. Yeah. Yeah, my owner, the my boss, he wants to get them. He has the Elite FTS, like the double rack where it's like a power rack, almost oh, like blah, blah, but he wants to attach them. Because he's like, you can do so cleans, you can do church, and, you can do presses, you can cool do is obviously uh, I, I everything, right? Yeah. In a smaller space, we're right at 1,200 square feet. So, you know, as much as I'd like to have everything under the sun, what's cool is I can turn one of these jammer arms into a belt squat in, in 30 seconds. You know, there's an attachment for everything. So you can set the belt squat up. And then when you're done, you, you put the jammer right, arm I've back up that. towards the right. top. And now it's out of the way. Um, so outside of those racks that we have, um, going to the back wall, obviously a bunch of dumbbells, kettlebells, lap pull-down machine, reverse hyper leg press, low back raise, uh, cable crossover. But um, really the majority of our programming will live, you know, in the jumping, plyo boxes, obviously. Um, jumping, we'll obviously jump. And then, you know, the, the fundamental movements, you know, mm. we'll, we'll squat, push, pull, hinge, carry. And a lot of it is done, you know, with barbells, dumbbells, um, and, uh, just, just basic equipment, you know, sandbags, medicine balls, all that stuff. But, um, you know, I'd say that as far as specialty equipment, you know, the equipment that we use the most, and it's not, not that it's too specialty, but would probably be a lap pull down. You know, I'm big on rows for the guys. So they'll, uh, they'll spend a lot of time doing row variations, whether it's a barbell row, lap mm. pull, single arm row, um, other than that, we'll rotate bars every so often, use them when we need to. But outside of that, man, it's pretty straightforward. We'll we'll jump. Yeah, we have a reverse hyper. Yeah, and, and you know. Did you say you guys do have hypers? And I, and I hate or to say it, have... but it's just okay, the truth. Okay. And I bet you this is the truth for a lot of gyms. It's a standing desk. You know, it's one of those things where as much as the thing is awesome and it has a ton of benefit, you know, I'll get on that <laughs> swing like crazy just because I like to back pump. But again, when you're training – 12 to 15 guys at a time and you've only got one of them the thing is a you know healthy sized piece of equipment yeah we have one of the ones yeah they all going to be different yeah exactly. one kid can, so can out, needs I'm to do it with no weight one, one kid one needs setting, 270 i don't know <laughs> the reverse hyper wouldn't be something that i used every single day with that person i probably would but you know is the same exact thing telling a kid to put a 45 pound plate across his chest and doing a, a low back raise. No, it's not the same, but it's something that everybody can do. 15 guys can grab a plate and, and sit back. You know what I mean? So, so again, it's not that same exact thing, right? but you know, I'm a meathead. Right. And one of the first things I put on my gym's list was a, was a reverse hyper. I wasn't going to not have a reverse hyper. So it's a, uh, yeah. Oh, for sure. For, well, at least exactly. you do it for you, and you know the benefits, exactly. right? Yeah, sure. And when you do have that one-on-one, when you can have it. Or if somebody's, somebody's hurt, tight, you know, they they'll, they'll get back on there. But as far as programming it in, 
to our system. If I had eight of them in the space, it would be, it would be a main movement. You know, we'd squat and reverse hyper. We'd reverse hyper and then we'd squat, you know. Right. It's just not so, again, I'm always going to shoot you straight and just tell you the truth. Hey, you know, it's, it, it, it collects dust other than when I go on there and hop on and we get that special client that, you know, needs a quick low back pump to kind of loosen up everything and then get under the bar. So. Let's see. Awesome. What do you, what things do you suggest for your athletes do for recovery? It's a two-sided question, man. There's some kids that they want to live in the gym and they don't want to take a day off because they don't want to let me down and they don't want to let the guy out work them. And that whole jazz. And I love that and I appreciate that. But sometimes the best thing those guys can do for recovery is just recover. You know, go home. You know, stop. You know, I've got one kid. Love him to death. He's, he's somebody Sleep. I'm very close with. He's actually a student up at Notre Dame mm-hmm. now. Trains his ass off. And he he's he, he is his biggest adversary from a standpoint of he's in his own way. You know, he's very methodical with his training. He is one of these kids that would be on a on a typical, you know, conjugate type program, waving loads and having dynamic, you know, strong as an ox. But he thinks if he takes Thursday off that he's losing, you know what I mean? So so it's hard for those guys that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, which you appreciate the pros. That's how it is. (laughs) The hell you mean? Take a day off. You're about to break. Resting. Literally sleeping is, is the best thing for that guy. And then on the polar opposite side of that end, you got the kids that aren't strong enough that don't even work hard that hard to get sore, to need to recover. That, again, it's funny, I joke, you know, their recovery needs to be more training. And that's, you know, obviously <laughs> a joke, sort of. But, again, for that middle-of-the-road guy right. who trains hard, who's making progress, who needs a day to kind of shake it off and to feel better. My big things, man, are I really like outdoor walks. I recommend to a lot of people to go for a 30-minute walk outside. You know, I think the sunshine's obviously great for you. I think it kind of clears your head. It breaks up the monotony of a gym session. Um, I'm very big personally on sled dragging. That's something that I do. I typically train five days a week, you know, running a little bit of a different program for myself right now, but I always try to drag sleds twice a week. You know, I create training for a lot of our guys and for me personally to where we live in that submaximal world to where if we're not pushing the envelope to 110% all too often, we don't need too much recovery. That said, the recovery is based on the things that I know that are going to be true. The lack of hydration, the lack of quality sleep, the lack of of quality nutrition. I know those are going to be problems that I would always say this to everybody. We would never need to recover ever if we slept eight hours a night, ate like an adult, and drank plenty of water and electrolytes every day. We never need to recover. But because a lot of us have issues in those fundamental areas, we've got to help our bodies, you know, rejuvenate itself. So the outdoor walks, the sled dragging. Um, I really like inversion, you know, I'll hook like a big, heavy, heavy band up to the top of a power rack and I'll get in the thing and I'll flip upside down and I'll just kind of sit. Um, 
Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's who I stole it from. He he helped oh, me set little, that thing uh, up for the longest Donnie time. Thompson couldn't, action. Couldn't figure out how these guys got these damn things. You know, the power racks are eight feet tall, and he kind of showed me this little uh, cable trick to set it up. But I get in there, um, tempering. So what I'll do? Yeah, wait, wait. Oh, again, don't, these don't, racks body, are Yeah, how do, you, how do you set up the top? I have a like a little rope with a carabiner on it. So then I'll drag. I'll, I'll set it like four or five, well, probably five feet, about head level is where I'll put it. And then I'll hook the band to that rope. So now the band is attached at my forehead level. So when I go to get in it and flip myself upside mm-hmm. down. I'm not, I'm not having to jump up and try to flip too hard. You know what I'm saying? Like if it was hooked up way too high, you back yourself into it and then you'd have to kind of like you're <laughs> right. bumping your butt out of a pool. You know, you'd have to do it like that. But the way that I, uh, he showed me how to set it up, I got it set up to where I don't have to fight getting in yeah. and out of it. So I like that tempering, which I'd like to get some legit tempers, but I use for myself, you know, I'll just get a couple kettlebells and I'll duct tape them up and I'll and I'll and I'll set those up for myself. Um, I have a couple of those. Uh, yeah, oh hell yeah, yeah. We have oh, some at our gym. Are, it's crazy. Legit. I got we got the Kabuki one that is the, goes up to two fifty. Oh my god. Uh, we have a couple of those Thera guns mm. or whatever they are. Those massage guns. You know, I think yeah, uh, you know, it's they're cool to have. Is that something? Right. I don't think so, but, um, you know, really plain Jane for the most part, I would say for me, my most common are that inversion, the sled dragging. And then on top of that, you know, your rest, hydration and nutrition is obviously going to play a, play a big role in the recovery, especially with, again, athletes that are 16, 17, 18 years old that aren't squatting so much that they need intricate, you know, recovery protocols. Um, so, what do you focus on when a kid is coming off a major knee, yeah, ankle, hip, no, or shoulder, for sure, for sure. or back? I, you know, I, I'm a big believer in. I guess you got to you got to break down each one, but yeah. If they're not of age, you know, having communication with the athlete's parent is obviously very important. And I'm also very big on speaking with surgeons and physical therapists to try to create a team approach. You know, fortunately, working with a lot of athletes when there are injuries, their surgeries are being done by you know surgeons that have basis in athletics you know it's not just a general surgeon who's going to tell you the oh well don't do anything for six months you know so we, we, we've got progressive surgeons and physical therapists that are working with our kids so right. again i think this is something that a lot of people in the strength and conditioning world you know oh the pt suck they're too they're too slow with coming back and then oh the strength coach sucks he's doing too much strength work blah 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 you know, so it's finding that balance. So, you know, one thing that I'll never do is step outside of my scope. My job is not to diagnose, you know, injuries or predict recovery times. So first, yeah. Yeah, the kids right. always like, well, how long do you think it's going to take? Sure. Hey, for, man, if you come and sure. do the work, and, and again, we, I we the hope PTs for the best. And, we know, just got to go day by day. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to predict it. But, um, you know, when they are ready and when they are able, you know, I think being able to train around the injury is very important. You know, for example, got a kid with an elbow right now, a couple kids, 
you know, the safety squat bar is an awesome tool. You know, it's something that we can use and not, you know, put too much strain or, or stretch on an injured area, you know, depending on the severity of the ankle, you know, I'm really big on movement. You know, obviously if you have a broken ankle, the last thing you want to do is walk on it. But if you're a little tight and you're dealing with a sprained ankle and you're in, in your, go for a walk. You know, I think sometimes things like that, you know, to get blood flow and get movement back into an injured body part is obviously very important. Something that I learned from Dave Tate, you know, this isn't related to an area that you discussed, but is pec tears. You know, I, Dave Tate said, you know, when I start, you know, recovering from a pec tear is the night after I tear my pec, you know, it's movement and getting blood flow to the area. You know, it's so important. So, you know, uh, I used to think before I was educated that, oh, you know, I had a bad pec tear back in 2011 that, oh, you wait for six weeks and you let it, you know, do its thing. And then you start progressively coming. I was doing dumbbell presses with five pound dumbbells, you know, the, the next day, you know, and it was something that, you know, there's something to be said for blood flow to an area that, um, you know, I think is, is important provided they have direction from a doctor to be able to do these things. You know, one exercise I like for their knees is the terminal knee extension where you'll get like a light band. You'll, you'll choke it around the power rack, put it behind their kneecap and just have them kind of do like a little toe touch where you elevate your heel, push down, flex the quad, flex the glute, flex the hamstring, get blood flow to the, to the knee, obviously with the back, you know, that's one of those where I'm, high as hell so i typically what what would be the sets of reps sets and reps for that knee extension tons and tons of reps it's kind (laughs) of you know yes exactly exactly just get tons of blood flow another thing would be like a before and after sessions three board or a four board let's just say that my my right knee was injured i put my right foot on a four board like a board press board and then I'm, I got, I'm on my right foot, and then I just step down on my left. And then I'd step up, keeping my right foot mm-hmm. stable. So basically, you're forcing that knee to stabilize. And again, the idea of this would be to get blood flow to the area. It's not that I'm trying to add trauma to an area that's obviously already had trauma, but it's trying to increase the blood flow. And that's something, too, that I've stole from Louis Simmons. You know, he's humongous on doing 300 reps of tricep extension, 300 reps of banded hamstring curls for the for the for for the um i was just about to ask that how often do you do your you know tissue work for not not as much and i mean i shouldn't say not as much yeah yeah yeah, you know exactly and they're a they're not strong enough you know the likelihood because they're sore they're sore already of a three three hundred and fifty pound or excuse (laughs) me a, a 250 pound bencher and an 800 pound bencher, you know, have an elbow tendonitis, you know, we're talking about two different monsters, but I still will definitely add that in, you know, Louis is 300 tricep extensions with a band. I might have my kids do a hundred, you know, he's big on the 300 hamstring curl. I might have my kids do a hundred because again, where we're talking mm. about time, we got 60 minutes of a session. Hey, a kid can go bang out a hundred uh, tricep extensions in five minutes you get to 300, all right, now he's got to do six hmm. sets of, you know, whatever. And then, holy shit, you're just taking up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing. Yeah. You know, where we and he's sore. He's sore. He put it all on the top of the hamstring now. can't speak anymore. Hypertrophy-based training where they are working with heavier sets and reps. You know, it's not like they're just coming in, doing five singles, a little bit of an accessory, 
and calling it a day. You know, when you bench press 800 pounds, that's plenty of stimulus because you're getting enough work from your max effort main movement and five singles right. maybe an astronomical amount of load. Well, if your bench press max is 175, we might do one thing we like is let's just say we're on that five, three, one phase. We'll do uh, three sets of five. And then on the last rep or the last set, we'll do a plus set. So we'll do five, five. And if they can get nine reps, go get nine reps. And then there's another template called boring, but big. It's another Jim Wendler kind of add on to where now we'll go back and we'll do five sets of 10 of that same movement with like 50% of the weight. So for example, let's just say we were on a threes wave. It'd be 70% for three, 80% for three, 90% for three plus. So then maybe you got five reps on your three plus set. And then we'll go back to 50% and do five sets of 10 with 50%. Hmm. So you gotta think it's not that much weight because they're not that strong, but shit, they've just done eight sets. You know, that's 50, that's 59 reps of work. They are going to get sore from that. You know what I mean? And, that, and that's okay. That's just a natural thing. But if you don't add that volume, I'm sorry. You know, a, a kid right. doing five singles up to a max at 175, it's not enough load to, to, to build anything. So, you know, that is where our connective tissue work will be the 100 reps instead of three or four. You know, hell, I know Louie's gone up to 500 reps before. That will typically be <laughs> um, when you get when you have your kids do medical work. We're big on standard throws where you know they'll they'll throw from their knees. We'll lay them on their backs. They'll drop it to their chest, throw it straight back up, almost like an explosive chest pass. And then we will also um, do a lot of rotational med ball work. And I, I like to put that in the beginning of the session because I think too. Not having the the negative where you're able to release the ball, obviously, that's a true maximal output exercise. And to be able to put that in the beginning, it does multiple things. You know, it turns on their central nervous system. It kind of wakes everything up. It's adding something explosive in. If I know the idea is to be as explosive or dynamic as we can with the med ball, yeah. I want to do that when, when they're freshest. You know, I want to do that in the beginning of the session. You know, it's not some CrossFit bullshit where at the end of the session, we're going to throw the med ball, whatever the hell they call it, where they throw it at the, at the wall ball or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it's fine. You know, you know, do your thing, CrossFit. It's not a knock on CrossFit. It's just for athletes. The wall thing. You know, we're using that to produce maximal force, not to get tired. Yeah. We're not, we're not yeah. trying to get tired. Right. Right. So, you know, you do, you right. have it. Not a million reps with squats and we'll do it in rings is, and all that. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with contrast training, but for example, let, let's just say we had, let's just say it was a dynamic effort type day where we were going eight doubles. Yes, so I yes. Would do, I would do a set of two and then lay on the floor and do one med ball chest pass up in the air and then rest and then go another double med ball throw, double med ball throw, double med ball throw. So uh, that would be another way that we would uh, work that in. And then it's not a med ball thing, obviously, but we would do the same thing for a squat day where we might do a, a double in the squats, go, go, go do a decently heavy um, sled push and then do another double in the squat sled push. So, you know, again, that's going to be more population specific for those that need it. Mm. But um, the majority of our guys being the beginners as they are, aren't going to need anything too fancy. You're good.
Sorry. For sure. No, it definitely how many, how many days do your athletes train in season versus off season? I know that probably that depends on the sport. They've well. always got an excuse. Oh, I don't have time. I don't have this. I don't have that. The great ones, they always find a way. You know, the kids, yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I can't come. I got two basketball <laughs> practices a week, you know. Because I, I, they got their know, homework. Yeah, oh. you know, oh. and, and it drives oh. me nuts because I always say to people, and again, I can't fist oh. anybody over oh. these things, but I think to myself, <laughs> if the stimulus that was very it was responsible for you improving your strength, speed, <laughs> performance, and now you're going to remove the very stimulus that was responsible for, for getting you to where you're at, you know, it there you go. Make sense to me. I'm not You're saying right. that the weight room is is everything, and we got to train five days a week in season. That's not the case, right? But but do we not train twice a week at least just to keep the keep the results that we build? It's just a, mm-hmm. to me, it's a return on investment thing. If you're going to take the time all off season and bust your ass and improve yourself, and then you're going to take away what was responsible for your improvements. You know, it just doesn't make sense. So you know, I would say that in season, if I can get the kids twice a week. That's a that's a steal. My dedicated ones will come three, sometimes even four times a week. And then during the season, you know, four to five times a week um, for the heavy hitters, I would say. And then two to three times, you know, depending on everything. Typically, we set it up to where there's two different options for the kids each month. We'll run like an eight session a month program, which is two sessions a week or the unlimited per month program, which it's equivalent to 10 or more sessions per month. Right. But, you know, with the unlimited, I always encourage those guys, hey, it's whether you come 10 times or 17 times, it's the same price. Let's get the most out of it. So that's definitely the one we push. Um, again, yeah, exactly. It's not the line. Right. Market, but, hey, if I can get your price per session down 25%. Then they keep coming back, so then everybody wins. Investment, when we're talking about the, the investment you're making from eight sessions a month to unlimited – you know, we're talking 60 bucks. It's not like it's, you know, $500 to come, you know, $500 more to come unlimited times per month. So my biggest thing is, is my name is on the kid's results. And if I can get a kid who's brought in to come on them, yeah, you know, exactly. I, I don't want the kid that, oh, can I just do the drop-in session? It's going to keep you know, people coming to your door. No, you know, what, what is that going to do? You're going to come three times a month and you're going to take up space from the guys that actually want to be there that are proving. What is that going to do, my guy? On a, on, a, on a program. So, you know, that said, twice a week, you know, for, again, beginners are going to see results. That, that, that can help. Twice a week for somebody that's been used to training five times a week and is in a lull, you know, that's probably not enough volume to, to, to match the stimulus they need, but at the end of the day, one is better than none. So if my goal and who I am is to serve these kids, if two is all they can do, hey, come on, let's find a way to do what we can. So, so that's something that's definitely been on my mm-hmm. mind. You know, it's um, Are you thinking of expanding or now, opening another gym? Again, kind of having this low overhead model that we've talked about in the beginning. I love it because I have complete control over everything from a standpoint of I'm able to control when the gym's open, who's when, how, how many days people are coming here. I have relationships with everybody. I don't have very many headaches. You know, it's something that I've got a assistant who works for me who's fantastic with, you know, helping implement all the programming that it's nice to have control and with where the world is going. And obviously in the middle of the pandemic that we're in now, you know, I'm not so sure that, you know, another brick and mortar location 
is is the right move right now you know i'm getting into a lot of uh, mentorship and consulting and working with kids mm-hmm. and other business owners and things like that to kind of help you know facilitate their growth but it's cool because i get my fix of coaching in the gym where i'm at now and it's small enough to where i know everybody's name i can go to their games i have relationships with the parents with the kids the community i don't know that i would be as tickled to have three or four or five gyms and and just be a manager so to speak or if i were to expand if you were to expand there's plenty of gyms all around me that are 2,000 square excuse me 10,000 square feet they shove 70 kids in there and they charge you know 10 bucks an hour and they don't even know the kids name is that really performance training you know what i mean is that really giving them the best or is that yeah, there is. And they set up the routines, the yep. bungee cords, and, you know, you no. high five. And There's going to be some speed ladders whipped out, I'll tell you that much. Coach. <laughs> it's just not it. So I would say, you know, and I can't ever say never. It could definitely be when <laughs> I open up another gym. I kind of like the small nature of what we've got now, just from a standpoint that I can control everything. And it's it's not overbearing. But, you know, to say that I wouldn't expand, I definitely think that that's a possibility. But uh, as far as myself and my interests in entrepreneurship, I would probably go, you know, more of a different route, expanding my business and whether that be, you know, a podcast or mentorship or consulting other gym owners. I'm also very big on um, being affiliated in the community, helping out the high schools. You know, there's been several high schools that I've done contract work for where I'll do the programming for whatever sports team or whatever, you know, some of the stuff to where there's not the hassle that comes with the brick and mortar. Mm. Nice. Huh? Goodness gracious. Um, If if we went over that, what are some uh, books or certifications every coach read? Because I'm a reader, man. Or have. I definitely enjoy it. For, For sure. Jeez. <laughs> for well, sure. get some, so give us some top think, five. I don't you know, know if you can narrow it down. Heavy, just but, some know, ones you like shouldn't go without. Training, I think it's very important. You know, it's it's tough. It's tough. And, and, and listen, I've I've read up and through it. I don't know. Ooh, that I'm trying to get through it, man. <laughs> your brain will melt if you if you give it about a month. Your brain will melt off. But if you can get through that, you know that's <laughs> a big one. Um, and then I, think, I think you know just to be honest, I think giving you more authors and, and people that you can you know, look into, because I think a lot of things, a lot of things with good coaches, they repeat themselves a lot. Louis Simmons, I've read every book that he's ever written and the guy, but he's, but he's the best, you know, he's the best. And and that's the thing that, you know, Louis is obviously awesome there. Yeah. He repeats himself. Simmons, I think is awesome. I think (laughs) Joe DeFranco is good. Zach Evanesh is another one that I'm very big on. Um, Dan John, who's an older coach out in Utah. He's Mm. phenomenal. Um, those would probably be four of my top top authors. Pavel is, is obviously awesome. He's a, a Russian guy, big kettlebell guy. And then as far as certifications go, I am currently, which I think is an awesome one, and this isn't to toot my own horn, I just think it has a lot of carryover and translate to a lot of the performance side, is a CPPS, which is a Certified Physical Preparation Specialist, which is, yes, that's by Joe. And, oh, awesome. 
that's by Joe, right? No, it's yeah. My girlfriend's actually right. studying for the. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it just out the corner of my eye. Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should just take it. I think this. You know, there are so many certifications out there, and there are so many people that pride themselves on putting 700 letters after their last name. I believe the best certification is a 45-pound metal barbell. And if you can learn how to manipulate that thing, yeah, you will right. definitely take yourself further than being able to regurgitate a bunch of science. Uh-huh. And, and that's right. not to knock keep hearing that. or yeah. anything like that. But you can't. There are so many, there are so many pencil-necked. You're, mm-hmm. Right. Then you can't implement exactly. it. Things usually then, get yeah. better when you put a bar on your back. And then Even you if you suck, you put a bar on your back. Young you age, stuff and, out. and I definitely <laughs> think it's still true. But um, you know, I think certifications. Pick a certification. Go with it. It's good for the background. It's good to have that as a basis, so that way you've got a little bit of a leg to stand on if you ever needed to communicate the certification that you have. But outside of that, man. You know, the, the head strength and conditioning coach at LSU, Tommy Moffitt, who is a guy that I spoke with as a young guy when I was getting into the field. He's the head strength coach of a national championship team that won the national championship. Like, doesn't have a single certification. Doesn't have one certification. He's at the top. He's at the pinnacle of uh, 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 of the field, you know. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? So what, what does it matter? And, and again, I, oh, I say that about Louis. <laughs> He's ready to go to college. I've gotten more out of going to seminars with a freaking ink pen Learn and listen. Ink than I have by getting through a science book. You know, and again, I understand the fundamental right. principles. I'm not the smartest guy mm. in the room. I know enough about the basics right. and I know the basic work. I'm going to be as best I can at the basics and I'm not going to try to be somebody I'm not. Because fortunately, I've got a bunch of relationships in this industry that if I need to know something that's, you know, a little bit outside of my, my range of knowledge, I've fortunately got those guys to go to. But I kind of just try to stay in my lane and, and, and focus on what I know works. And then if I need a hand, you know, I'll, I'll mm. get a hand. Yeah, no, that's a great question, too. Um, sure. How is it balancing I, uh, work? And you know, family life, especially started, with a new little I was kid. 20 years old and, I was and owning your own business. 3.30 in the morning, up and at it every day. Don't take days off, no vacations, nothing. You know, I I joke, you know, the 40-hour work week, I was usually done with 40 hours by Wednesday. Hmm. You know, it was just something where I was working 12, 14, 15 hours a day. I was all in. And then I got to the point, it's probably 25, 26 wow. years old. I'm 30 now. And I realized as much as I love it, it wasn't a sustainable path that I was on. Nobody can work themselves into the ground day in and day out and, and maintain a passion for it. So I'll tell you, the best thing that I did is I uh, hired actually one of my good buddies back from middle school and high school, a guy named Jared Long, who is, right. I call him kind of our lead floor implementer. He may be the guy that's on the floor most of the time. I'm obviously still there regularly, but uh, Jared is obviously a phenomenal coach and he also allows me the ability to focus, you know, on the business versus working in the business. So there are some things that obviously I have a, a different day-to-day structure than what I had, say, six years ago, five years ago. But it's awesome because I still get my coaching fix. I still have the relationships. I still am able to keep my passion and my fire. But then when I need to do the business side of things, I can do that from a MacBook Pro in an office with my kid bouncing on my knee, you know? So that's the stuff that is, is super important to me was, 
you know, I'm a coach at heart. I love coaching. I love communication. Mm. I love, you know, working hands-on with the athletes, but I want to be able to do that on my time versus, you know, being, being owned by the business, you know, and that was something that, you know, I, I've hired mentors before and I have people that help me with my structure and my business and all these things. And I learned very right. quickly. They told me, Ray, you don't own a business. The business owns you. And I thought, Oh no, I got the, I got the logo Zingler street, you know, the whole, and that, but, but I was a slave to the business and it was something to where I couldn't, I couldn't go mm-hmm. see my family on Thanksgiving because I had to train guys at 10 a.m. You know, I couldn't do anything. And, it, and, and, and again, I wore the badge. I wore that hustle, whatever you say, grind, beast mode, bullshit, but mm-hmm. it couldn't, it couldn't last forever. And, uh, you know, where <clears> I'm at now provides me the ability to a take care of my family which is first and foremost the most important but also get the fix that i need with the coaching which hey maybe two hours a day or three hours a day versus 17 hours a day that at one point is what it was you know so awesome awesome man (laughs) right well, man, we got it in. I, that's all the questions yeah, I had. Yeah, no, you're right. I appreciate your respect in the time. Um, no so doubt. tell everybody yeah. where they can find you before you get uh, my, uh, left hook. My business account um, by your wife, okay? <laughs> Personal account is at Ray Zingler. And then I'm also on Facebook on Ray Zingler as well. I got a Twitter, but don't don't hop on there too much. I try to do my do my. Well, that concludes this episode. Hope y'all enjoyed it. Uh, Of course, you can find me on Instagram. That's at K-A-L-I-L underscore S-H-E-R-R-O-D. So you can pay attention to that next post as well as uh, post on strength conditioning on that page. And pay attention because I will be having another great person on the podcast this coming week. Actually, it should be two. So hope y'all enjoy. And remember, stay clean. Peace.